0: because I get to share the story that is the greatest story in scripture. How many believe that his story was powerful? How many understand the story of Jesus is, a, is an epic story told over and over again, but it is a story of our salvation, the Savior come? And I want to start with that today in Luke 2 and 9. If you want to stand for the reading of the word, that would be your prerogative, but we do like to stand at times to honor the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 2 and verse 9, and then there's one other verse that I want to go to that you may never may never have heard before, and it's Isaiah 11 and verse 1, and I'm sure you've never heard that verse used in a Christmas story, but when I get done, hopefully it will make some more sense to you, and I want to dismiss the Sunday school if they haven't gone yet. God bless and the lo, kids, the as angel of the Lord it's came it's upon Luke them, two and, two and, and the glory and of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid everyone say they were afraid that is the human response to a supernatural event fear and the angel said unto them everything every time an angel encounters human beings this is the first thing they say fear not for behold i bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people everyone say all people amen that's important for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior which is christ the lord and this shall be a sign unto you ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising god and saying glory to god in the highest on earth peace everyone say peace goodwill toward men and it came to pass as the angel were gone away from them into heaven the shepherds said one to another let us now go even unto Bethlehem Ever say Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known to us they marveled that the people who were the last to know ended up being the people who were the first to know amen shepherds were the lowest on the economic status pole Okay, they were the ones that everybody thought were down at the lowest level, but the angels of the Lord appeared to the shepherds first and said, you're welcome to come, meaning that all people, all status, all class are welcome at the manger of Jesus, amen. So we're going to stop at that manger for a little while today, and this is a first. This is the first time I'm ever going to do an interactive multimedia presentation in a sermon. This is a this is a maiden voyage. We're going to try it. We're going to see how it goes. It's it's a teaching, but I believe that if we hit a few words here in this passage of scripture, number 1 is joy, we're going to hit peace, and we're going to talk about Jesus being our hope of salvation. And when we hit those, I hope that maybe when you leave here today, you will have a deeper understanding, okay, of what those words mean. And how it applies to you and how you can celebrate truly the depth of Christmas and who Jesus is. And also I hope that when we leave here today we will not realize uh, that Christmas is just a wonderful story to be shared. But Christmas is a struggle story. Christmas is a very difficult story. When we take on the story of Jesus and we applied it to the Christmas holiday, we are applying a story that was difficult And if you have difficult times right now at this time of year, I want you to know Jesus' story is a good story to remember. Amen? Because his is a story from struggle to salvation. And I'm grateful for that story. So I want to talk to you for a little while about the story, the story of our Savior let's pray. Jesus, in this house today, there are many hearts and there's many weights and there's many things being carried and there's many things being celebrated. Some of us have family that are joining together in the next week or so. And some of us by next Monday will be around many friends and family. Some of us may not have much to look forward to this Christmas holiday, but we're still trusting in you that your story is greater. And we put our faith in that, that you will bring all things together for good and make things right in the places that seem wrong and we trust you to be the one that writes every chapter even if there's ones that are difficult in our life lord god be the story writer of our life because your story was not just a struggle but a story of triumph and we know if we don't stay stuck in a chapter of our life that you will finish out the book and at the end if we read the back of the book we win and i thank you lord for your touch and your precious presence that's been here already today in jesus name we pray everybody said amen You may be seated in the house of the Lord. I'm thankful today for drinkable water. How about you? Just go through a couple things I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for drinkable water because one billion people don't have drinkable water. I'm thankful for enough food. How about you? You don't have to look at me long and know that I've had plenty of food. Man, this is not an accident, I tell somebody. Um... And I'm working on it, so don't judge me. I have enough food, and 1 billion people don't. We have electricity. Are you happy the lights are on? 1.5 billion people don't have electricity. A roof over our head. How many came from home with a roof over your head? 1 million people don't this holiday season. Some people don't have facilities, a bathroom. 2.5 billion people don't. Ability to read. Did you know that 1 billion people don't know how to read? Freedom to worship. Isn't that a great freedom? Amen? Five billion people do not have that freedom. So sometimes we miss in celebrating Christmas if we have a good, strong livelihood or we've been brought up in a home that has great blessings and we've inherited many great things. We might miss the struggle in the story. Amen? We might miss the fact that someone's walking around saying Merry Christmas and there are people that are not having a Merry Christmas. They're having a hard Christmas. It's one of maybe the hardest Christmas, Christmases they've ever been through. Maybe the loss of a loved one or the things that they've gone through in this last year. In 2017, they're happy to wave goodbye to more than they're happy to celebrate. And I want you to know that you're not immune to the things that, that go on in life that can come against your life. But we have to be careful not to sterilize the story of Jesus Christ because he was born in a struggle place. Amen. The struggle of the Christmas story is very real because Mary was a virgin, amen? Jesus, it's interesting that we find that God has a format for the way that he often does things, and I... When I look at the scripture, I often have a question mark in my head because I'm like, God, why would you choose to do it that way? Look at the Old Testament and the different stories that you can read of how God worked with his people. And he told Moses to go and let, and into Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And oh, by the way, Moses, I'm sending you on this great mission and you're gonna, and Pharaoh is going to say no. Just so you know, it's going to be a mission of rejection. I just want to let you know that. Why would God send somebody on a mission to fail? But while he was, while this was all happening and God said he would harden the heart of Pharaoh, it's interesting to note that God uses not only the situation, but he also changes the person in the situation. Can I preach a little bit here this morning? That sometimes when we're dealing with something that's very difficult and we think our story is such a struggle and we think that maybe we don't have what everybody else has, I want you to know that if you trust God with where you're at in your story, He will make it good for you even though the situation may not be good for you. God will build you in the midst of a bad situation. And if you trust him he'll use it for your for his glory and and you will not be able to to come out of the situation and say well I got myself out of that. Well it was my strategy. Well, I, I just thought my way through it. Well, I just I just had such a good plan to get through college that I don't have as much debt as my other friends do at 25 or 26. No, it won't be that. It will be, you. you will literally stand and say, had it not been for the Lord, I would not have gotten through the things that I've been through. And Jesus will be your glory story, that he helped you out and he got you through it. Or else Moses would have walked in and talked to Pharaoh and Pharaoh would have said yes, and Moses would have dabbed and walked out. That was for the back row over there for my buddies. Because Moses would have thought, hey, I was convincing. But God often uses difficult situations, and we look at one of the most difficult situations you ever have seen in Scripture, and that is a virgin shall be with child. Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Not at all. In fact, why does God choose the complicated ways to bring forth... His glory, because then that way no man can glory in his presence. Amen. No man can say, We did this. Look at this. Does anybody still contend here for the virgin birth? Amen. Yeah. I know some churches choose not to, some religions even choose not to, but I believe Matthew 1 and 18 still says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, was as when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, meaning before they had intimate relationship, she was found with child of what? The Holy Ghost. In other words, she, Jesus had a earthly mother, but he did not not have an earthly father, amen? In other words, he was 100% God and 100% man. That's very important to know from scripture as a doctrine. Verse 21 says, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, what? Jesus, this is an interactive sermon as well as a multimedia sermon. She shall call his name what? For he shall save his people from their sins. I'm grateful for a savior, amen? And I celebrate that this season. I celebrate a savior. Anyone still know that Jesus was born of a virgin? Just has to read Matthew 1 and 23. Just keep on going. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Are you glad God came to us when we couldn't get to him? Amen. Don't don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that there's not a struggle in this situation. I'm not saying Joseph didn't have a struggle in this situation. But the angel of the Lord came and was speaking to Mary that she was going to have a child. But then not only was the situation so difficult, the angel actually had to come to Joseph and convince Joseph that the baby was from the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but I'd be asking some questions. It just... You know, did the postman stop by, or what, what, what are we dealing with here? I mean, what's going on? There's, this has never happened in the history of the earth, amen? And now we have one woman with one story, and, and you want me to believe it, and he was betrothed to her, but he was a good man, the Bible says. He was an honorable man, and so he chose to put her away, but the angel of the Lord had to come and convince him. It's okay for you to take Mary as your wife. What has been done in her is of the Holy Ghost. And I'm grateful for the story. How about you? So sometimes it's easier to tell the story in video. And so I brought this multimedia sermon together with this story where the kids tell the story and adults act it out. Watch this. An
1: angel came to see Mary. She was doing laundry. And then the angel just appeared and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're gonna have what? I can't, I can't say good. Mary, you're gonna have a baby. I, you're gonna have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not gonna have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying you are having a baby
0: and so they met
1: up they went to Bethlehem which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh yeah a camel. She said this donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said we have no rooms literally no rooms <laughs> so mary and joseph walked away sadly but then he said the only place and here in bethlehem hand that that you can stay stay is a staple and then he just pointed the way and they followed when the shepherds were taking care of the sheep then they saw angels the angels said a new baby is get, getting born. Who is king of the Jews? The angel were singing. Glorious. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes. Maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. We should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, they have at home. Some diapers. And some wipes, and some milk, <laughs> some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably t- because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you and you're the best baby i ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> the new baby is going to change the world.
0: That baby's going to change the world, amen? Kids are adorable. <clears throat> There's two statements given to Jesus Christ, that he was the son of man and that he was the son of God. How many have read this in scripture, seen the statement that he's the son of man, which just means he's the son of mankind or born of a woman? In order to have deity or dominion in this earth, the Bible gives us instruction that you have to come through the womb of a woman in order to have rightful place in the earth. That's why whenever Jesus would cast out demons or do anything, they oftentimes the demons felt it necessary to say, thou son of David, or they, they would classify him as, what are you doing here? Why is a spiritual being on earth? Why, why is it possible that God is in a body? And the, the spirits were actually asking, do you have authority to be doing what you're doing in the earth? And that's why you have to understand that when the Holy Spirit gives us a dominion, we have a dominion over spirits. The Bible tells us that what's loosed on earth, it can be loosed in heaven, and what's bound on earth can be bound in heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit. That possibility is only made possible because Jesus was not only a son of man, but he was a son of God. And when he died for us and then rose again, we have the resurrection life inside of us. That same spirit that was in Christ, Jesus, shall also be in you. And that shall quicken your mortal body, the Bible says, or give you life. And and so when we walk in that life and that dominion, we know that we have been given that through the purchase of a baby that was in the first king-sized bed, amen, in the manger, and we're so grateful for a wonderful story, but I want you to know that the prophecy of the Son of Man and the prophecy of the Son of God is not a confliction. He is 100% man, and He is 100% God. Do you understand what I mean by that? I mean by that that His deity did not diminish from His humanity, and His humanity did not diminish diminish from his deity. So there were times where Jesus acted as a man or acted as a boy, played in the dirt while his mother looked on and thought, how is this God in flesh? You know, He, he controls all things and he, he's able to know the names of the stars, but yet as a boy, he would play as a boy, amen? And so we understand that neither one conflicted and when it came time for him to step out and say he was the revelation, he was God in flesh, he was the, the visible part of God, the visible part of an an invisible God, that he could be the lion and the lamb, amen? Because he was 100% man and 100% God. He could be the high priest and the sacrifice at the same time, amen? So we're convinced, just like Joseph had to be convinced, that this Jesus was not only a man, but he was God in flesh. And that's a beautiful story of how God's power could reside In a human being And so for the first time Angels who only knew God As a God of majesty and glory Are now seeing God in his fullness in a body And so they sing glory to God in the highest Peace on earth Goodwill toward men And the scripture that I read to you said That there's joy In verse 9 It says and the angel said unto them Fear not for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which is to be to all people. In Isaiah 11 and 1, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. In other words, it's saying what's cut down shall bring forth a branch or a root. In other words, in the places where there's nothing left, Jesus can still grow. Amen. Jesus can still bring something up. When you're down to the bottom, when you've been cut off and feel like life has not gone your way, there's a message to those that are at the bottom. Amen. That Jesus can spring forth something new in you, and it would be something that shouldn't grow out of a stump. This was a prophecy 700 years before before Jesus came that Isaiah tapped into. And then we see in John the fulfillment of that prophecy that G- Jesus Christ is that branch. Jesus Christ is that new thing. And Jesus Christ is of the family of Jesse. And what I noticed was that in here is the word joy. Did you see the word joy in there? It bring you good tidings of great joy. How many know the depth of that word? The word joy is very rich. We talk about joy in this season. Um, Our theme is joy this year, exceeding great joy. But I want you to know what the word joy means. So here's part of the multimedia sermon that we want to hit, and that's the word joy. So you can have a deeper understanding of joy in this season.
2: Being in a good mood is really great. And most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphersune, or agliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness, and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says, a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings Mm -hmm. to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt Not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God, his father, when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice. Be very glad because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what
0: biblical joy is all about. Amen. How many learned something just now? So the joy of the Lord being our strength The Bible Project is great. You guys need to check it out. Those boys are doing good work. The joy of the Lord here that's talking about that there be joy to all people. Take what you just learned and apply it to that. Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus came to us. In other words, joy has a name. And that is Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's why we celebrate in service. That's why we clap our hands when we start talking about a Savior that's come to earth. That's why we get excited. That's why we celebrate the Lord. And in fact, the pressures of the holidays can be very great. Amen. And I just want to share with you the way that you can handle the pressure of the holiday. Number one is to handle pressure, you just have to be pre sure of who your joy comes in. That your joy is not in a gift. Your joy is not in a person. Amen. Your joy is not in somebody that's going to give you a present or someone that's going to show up at the holidays. There may be joy in all those things. There may be a joy in the vacation that you're going on for the holidays. But if your joy stays in Jesus Christ, you can handle the pressure because you're pretty sure of where your joy comes from. Amen. All right. Amen. And the other way that you can handle pressure is one thing that people don't like to hear in church. And that is not pray hard, but play hard. Play hard. Go and have some fun. Turn your phone off and do something exciting. Have a little bit of fun. Pressure is handled when you have a release. Go and play hard. And that's what happens in churches whenever I, I don't know if you grew up in the same kind of church that I did, but when we got in church, we, we called worship playing before the Lord. Have you ever heard of that? That David, when he worshiped God, he played before the Lord. That when you have a church that knows how to worship, there's something about a church like that that releases pressure in your life. And you, you began to just dance and worship and play before God. And that may not be your upbringing or the kind of religion that you were in, but I remember leaving church exhausted but having all kinds of joy. I remember leaving church with bobby pins up by the front altar and there's all kinds of stuff going on in services and you were like, I don't know why that person's dancing over there or why that person's jumping over there, but when they left, there was a joy on their face and there was a hope in their heart and there was a happiness in their spirit because they learned that it's not just playing as the world labels it, but it is worshiping before the Lord that brings the greatest amount of joy. For the joy of the Lord is our strength, the Bible says. And see, I preach because that's my nature. I just like to preach. But I'm trying to do a multimedia sermon here. Calm down, Jodan. And another great word that takes place in the scripture that we see here is that they said that there's going to be peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. In verse 14, it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Everyone say it, peace, goodwill toward men. Let's learn about the word peace and apply it to the Christmas story this this year.
2: The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job, who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. a time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Erene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our ereme. He was the whole, complete human that I am made to be, but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience, and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work, because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace.
0: Amen, somebody. Isn't that great? So when we look at verse 14, it says, Glory, the angels were singing this. A multitude of angels were singing this. It says, Glory to God in the highest. On earth, shalom. Completeness. Put back togetherness. Goodwill toward men. That's what it means when the angels sang it. They said, This visible baby with God in invested in him, that all of the fullness of God was in Christ Jesus, that the first time they saw this, they celebrated and said, this is a work of God and it's going to a bring God glory and it's going to be B, B is going to bring completeness to mankind. Isn't that good? That's so powerful because the depth of it we don't quite get when we just think of angels singing on a hillside to some shepherds, but what he was saying, What's, what's being said through scripture is that to the lowest people on the economic totem pole. To the people that were shepherds, there is a baby born who will be the perfect lamb sacrifice for every human being. So the people that should take care of the perfect lamb that's going to be the savior of the world should be the shepherds, amen, because they know how to care for sheep. And Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The plan was always there, John 1 and 1. The plan was always there that God said in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. So the plan was always there and we learned a little bit about that plan. But that would be the hope. Then scripture talks a lot about hope. Paul says hope is an anchor for our soul. Hope is heavy that it keeps us anchored down and that that hope was Jesus Christ. And so I want to spend just a couple minutes longer if that's okay and learn about the word hope. Are you enjoying this multimedia sermon? You're learning something from it? I hope so. This is quite a teaching lesson, but let's learn about hope real quick.
2: So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy, or excited, or maybe unsure. But most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the Ark, as the flood waters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kava for the Lord.